Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power of weakness head on me. Free, 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 free. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. You know me from the blog Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my stories there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And I hope you're enjoying this four-part summer series featuring an update from each of the last uh, past Bubble Hour hosts. We've heard so far from Ellie, Amanda, and Catherine, and now on this episode, you'll be hearing from one of the co-founders of the show, Lisa. And unfortunately, Lisa and I could not coordinate our vacations so that we had time to talk to each other in person, but she was so kind as to let me send her some questions, and she spoke them into her phone and recorded this update for you, knowing that this is really something special for all of you to to hear from her and know how she's doing. You'll no doubt hear that her heart is as big as ever and her voice is as warm as ever. And I hope you enjoy her as much as ever. So here's Lisa. Enjoy. Hello to the Bubble Hour listeners. I've missed you guys so much. Hi, Jean. This is Lisa. I wish we could be chatting now together instead of me recording this memo. Jean and I tried to work out an interview time, but our schedules kept conflicting. So we decided to give this a try. Recording myself is weird and awkward, but I do love you guys and I love Jean. So I'm doing it anyway. Hopefully you'll all be able to stay awake and Without Jean with me, I'll still be able to carry this off. Um, Jean asked me to share a little about what my expectations were for the bubble hour back when Ellie and I got started with it. Uh, when Ellie and I started the bubble hour in 2012, I think we had maybe three listeners, maybe. Um, in early 2012, February 21st, 2012, to be exact, I finally had my last day one. And nine months later in November, Ellie and I started the bubble hour. It was Ellie's idea to do a recovery podcast. And at that time, recovery was on my mind 24 hours a day. We decided to call the podcast the bubble hour because I had started thinking of protecting my sobriety as though it were inside of a bubble. It was a safe place for me, my sobriety bubble. The bubble was an image I could actually see in my mind's eye. 
So I added and stored the tools there that I needed for safekeeping that would help me to stay sober. So fizzy water. I know some of you may remember that I'm a big fan of LaCroix sparkling water. So there were cases and cases of LaCroix in my bubble since every time I had a mental craving for booze, I opened a LaCroix. My recycling bin was actually full of a rainbow of empty LaCroix cans on a daily basis, and it still is, truly. I also added peanut butter and chocolate candy, books, binge-worthy Netflix shows, Hulu, Amazon, videos, uh, audiobooks, fiction and nonfiction, effing tea, ice cream, sobriety blogs, and re- uh, recovery podcasts, and last but not least, true crime podcasts since I'm obsessed with true crime. Uh, my goal was not to drink, so I did everything in my power to stay busy. My brain needed to stay otherwise occupied at all times. So many things went into my bubble. The title just seemed to fit for so many of us on this journey. So the bubble hour was born. Ellie and I convinced Amanda to join us as a third host, and she was wonderful. I loved those ladies then, and I love those ladies now. They were such a huge part of my early sobriety, and I will be forever grateful to them. And we were a really good team. And committing to the podcast was actually exactly what I needed to do at exactly the right time. I guess my only expectation for the bubble hour was to help someone. I remember feeling like I really wanted to help someone like me, who was feeling terrified and alone and hopeless as they trudged through early sobriety. And I did hear back from a few listeners that I did help them. And that was very healing for me. Uh, The bubble hour is how I learned that being of service to others, for me, is the best way to move forward. And it helped me let go of self-obsession, which was particularly um, a a gift uh, of sobriety, letting go of that. I was also surprised that anyone thought something that I had to say was helpful, but I let myself soak in the good things that I heard, and it made me feel a little bit less hopeless and more connected. Um, I sat on the floor behind my closed bathroom door or on the floor of my closed closet door once a week when I joined Ellie and Amanda and our guests to record each episode. And as a side note, a few of those early episodes included surprise cameos from my children. My son, who was seven at the time, uh, asked me once through the door to please buy him a water balloon launcher. And my daughter asked me through the door where her softball cleats were. And my dog barked through the door, telling me that it was time for me to take her for a run. Honestly, we really had no idea what we were doing when we started the podcast. And I think that's what made it awesome. Because it was real. We were genuinely learning as we went along and we were teaching each other and also teaching ourselves. Uh, we were brave without even knowing it because we stepped outside of our comfort zone and it was just a great experience. I hosted for a year and as my job began to involve more travel and my family life became more demanding as my children began getting more and more involved with activities that required my taxi services, I knew I had to step back from hosting. It was definitely a decision that I did not take lightly, 
But I made the decision confidently since I knew it was the right thing to do for myself and for my family. Having had zero experience with podcasts when we started, I had no idea how much time and work went into each episode. And I was no longer able to give it all that it deserves. So I retired as a host uh, in November of 2013. And Catherine and Jean eventually graciously and smoothly stepped in and started hosting the show. And they were naturals. Uh, Jean tells me that as of today, there have been 2.5 million downloads of this podcast. That is hard for me to comprehend. It makes me really proud, and it also gives me a great sense of comfort to know that we are never alone in this crazy world because there are resources available like this beautiful podcast. And it's just really something that I'm very, very just proud of. I'm so proud to have been a part of it. Uh, Let's see. Jean also asked me to share a little of my story and also what my recovery looks like today. So I will try for the short short version, but I'll make no promises. Um, I recently read that around 90,000 people die each year from alcohol-related deaths. Seven years ago, I made the decision not to be included in that statistic. I made the decision to save my own life. At the time, my decision wasn't completely clear to me. But with some of the beautiful clarity that came to me early in sobriety, my decision was solidified. At first, I thought maybe this this sobriety thing would be temporary, kind of like a reset. For a while, I played the should I buy a bottle of wine on the way home or shouldn't I game with myself. You guys know the game I'm talking about, right? Um, For a long time, I moped around feeling like a depressed loser because life seems so gray and so joyless without having a drink or seven on Friday evenings or Tuesday evenings or Thursday or Saturday. Yeah, you you get the point, right? Uh, For a while, I wondered what was the point of all of this if I was always going to feel misery. But one day, one day, I realized right before I went to bed that I had laughed. It was a real laugh that originated deep within and I felt it from head to toe. I also realized that I had gone the whole day without playing the will I or won't I drink game with myself. I also noticed that as I was washing my face that my skin looked rather nice. I could barely think these thoughts. But a tiny voice whispered, this is thanks to sobriety. And there is so much more good to come. I heard the voice. And I believed it. So that was the very beginning of knowing that my life was not over. My life was just beginning. I was free. And that felt amazing. Anyway, back to my original point. I knew that I did not want to die the same way that my dad died at a young age from an alcohol-related death. I knew that much for sure. While abusing my body, my brain, and my soul with alcohol... I was still mostly managing to keep up appearances as a mom, as a wife, and as a friend, while also managing to maintain and even thrive in a successful career. But I knew from listening to the tiny voice I was hearing from deep within inside myself that something was terribly wrong, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
I was tired of waking up hungover, reaching on autopilot at 3 a.m. to take the Advil or Tylenol that was placed on my bedside table several mornings a week when I woke up in a state of nauseating panic to relieve my splitting headache. I was tired of not remembering what I had done the night before. I was tired of apologizing to people that I had offended or hurt or lied to while I was drunk. I was tired of living a life that made it hard for me to even look at myself in the mirror. I knew I was running out of time. I had been abusing alcohol for years. I had been making alcohol-related rules for myself and breaking them for years, and I knew it. I knew my game was soon coming to a messy end. I still had loyal friends and family who loved me, but I was becoming more lonely and isolated with each glass of wine I drank. I was slowly but surely crossing all of my invisible lines and breaking all of my self-imposed rules. I had not lost my family. I had not lost my job or been to jail yet. But if I had kept drinking, I would have. Or worse, I would have died, just like my dad. While the chronic and progressive disease of addiction is not curable, it is treatable, and I am living proof. When people receive appropriate treatment, recovery really does work. Jean asked me to share a little about my own recovery. So, in early 2012, I was a lost, nearly sober sober soul. I felt like the only one. I didn't know anybody in recovery. I was 35 years old, and I felt completely cut off from what I once knew and who I once was. I went to many 12-step meetings since I thought that 12-step meetings were the only way to get and stay sober. So I kept trying the meetings at first. The reality for me is that 12-step meetings brought back traumatic memories of a childhood, of my childhood, because I associated meetings with being forced there with my dad as a terrified little girl and a room full of men that I didn't know. I didn't realize it, but I had blocked out much of these childhood memories. The fear left its mark though, and I felt so hopeless because I couldn't even do 12-step meetings right. I'd like to stop here to say that 12-step meetings are lifesavers, literally, for so many. I believe 12-step meetings can work, and they do work. The people I've met through these meetings are great and some of the warmest, most welcoming people I have ever encountered in my life. I used to pass out chips at one of the meetings I went to regularly, and I have happy new adult memories from that particular experience. I also know now that I don't have to center my own recovery around meetings, which means the pressure is off. So now on occasion, I do go to meetings. In fact, I just went to a meeting when I was on vacation last week because I felt the need to be around other people like me because it can still be hard being the only sober adult on vacation with a bunch of drinkers. As always, at this meeting I went to last week, I was welcomed with open arms, and I was able to take what I needed from it, and it helped me. I'm adding this just so it's clear that it's not meetings that are the problem for me. It is that meetings triggered a sense of fear and panic in me brought on by trauma I experienced. So also, I'd just like to say that there's more than one way to recover, and there's no one-size-fits-all. There's no perfect path. What really matters is that you are recovering. No matter how you do it, 
you should not feel that you're not doing it right as long as you're doing it. So back to my own recovery, one desperate afternoon, right after I left a particularly panic-inducing meeting, I decided to try to find a therapist. I found a therapist who specializes in addiction. The God smiled upon me because her practice was covered by my insurance. She happened to have a cancellation, and I got an appointment for the very next day. That night, in preparation for my appointment, I wrote down every single detail of my social and secret drinking. I was afraid that if I did not write it down, I would minimize my problem or lie like I had done at the many other appointments with therapists I had leading up to sobriety. I didn't want to tell the truth in that pe- in the past because I was too afraid of hearing the suggested solution. But I walked into her office and with shaking hands and with tears running down my face, it still makes me cry just now today thinking about it all these years later. I pushed the letter into her hands. She looked so confused, but not as confused as I felt about about this situation I found myself in. No pleasantries were exchanged. I just bluntly asked her to read it to herself before we talked, and she did. She read the whole thing as I sat there, burning with shame in silence. When she finished reading it, she gently folded it. She looked me in the eye, and there were tears in her eyes, too. And she smiled at me. It was a genuine smile. And she said, Lisa, you are brave. You are a fighter. Now, let's get started. It's time to get you well. And that was the start of my twice-weekly appointments with my biggest supporter and my best bullshit detector. Oh, is it okay if I cuss? Sorry, Jean, my addiction therapist. I still see her once a week, sometimes twice a week if I need to. She keeps me accountable, and that is a critical component to my successful recovery. I also still listen to recovery podcasts and read all recovery-related blogs and books. I will say that as the years have passed, my recovery is no longer the first thought in my head at all times because now recovery is really just my life. It's now my normal. It's me. It's what happened while I was getting well, and it continues to happen every day of my life. I know that people relapse, but relapse has not been a part of my recovery story, and I plan to do whatever it takes to make sure it never is. And I really... I really mean that, too. Um, I stay on top of it, and I'm very aware, and I listen to my feelings, and I listen to my body. And if I ever do feel a little off, I go ahead and make another appointment with my therapist, or I make a plan to uh, speak to someone I trust. Or I, I know that these days that I have to take care of things that are bothering me because that's a huge part of my recovery story, too. Uh, in the past, I never, ever made any time for myself and my mental health. So a little about my life these days. Where do I start? Goodness. Um, well, hmm. well, life is hard some days, right? There are beautiful days. And then, of course, there are really bad days. Um, mostly, I've learned that life just is. I I can't control it. I can only control how I react to it. Once I figured that out, my entire perspective started to shift and I felt a weight leave my shoulders. 
I've lived through the hardest and the most wonderful days as a sober person in recovery. Now I think back to what my therapist said to me at the beginning of our first appointment on that terrifying day in her office when she told me I was brave. I literally looked over my shoulder behind me to be sure she was not speaking to someone else because surely she did not mean me. Brave? Me? Was my therapist crazy? That's what I remember asking. But now, sometimes, on occasion, I do look in the mirror and I do think, yep, I'm brave. She totally nailed it. It takes a brave person to fight for herself in the midst of being filled with shame, regret, and self-loathing. Now, I'm not walking around feeling ashamed. I'm proud of my hard-earned sober life. That's not to say that life is now magically perfect just because I'm sober. It's not perfect, but I now have tools in place to guide me through those tough days and also the best days. I still do take each day bit by bit through my crazy, busy life as a wife and as a mom. My children were so little when we started the bubble hour. Now they're teenagers in high school. One is driving and one will soon be getting a learner's permit. Uh, My daughter is deciding which colleges she wants to tour. I have no idea how this all happened so fast, but it did. Um, I've talked a lot in the past about my daughter because she was old enough to remember me as a mom who drank and drank too much. So I'd like to just say here that I've gained my daughter's trust. She trusts me more than either of us would ever have thought possible. And even though my son is only two years younger than my daughter, he doesn't seem to have any lasting memories of me as a drunk mom. But my intuitive daughter, sadly, she does remember. While I'm sad about it, I make a living amends to her every day by showing her through my actions that I am a person she can count on. I talk openly and honestly with my children about my own battle with alcoholism, and I tell them on a regular basis, I just picture teenagers daily rolling their eyes to the heavens as I tell them yet again that I come from a long line of alcoholics genetically, and they do have my DNA. Eye rolling, eye rolling, we know mom. More eye rolling, we know mom. But I can ignore the eye rolling and I will continue to tell them just for good measure as long as they will listen or even if they don't listen, I will keep telling them Uh, just because I want them to be aware. I want them to know the truth. Um, No one ever talked to me openly about all of the addiction that runs in my family. And I can't help but sometimes wonder if my own choices would have been different had I been informed about my genetic history. Instead, everything was always swept under the rug and skeletons were kept firmly locked in the closet. I used to think that this was a Southern thing, but I've learned that it's more of a universal thing. That stops with me, though. The cycle has stopped with me. The idea of never talking about hard topics has stopped with me because we really do talk a lot, my children and I. Um, so I'm really thankful that despite my mistakes, my children seem to be well adjusted. And besides the usual teenage behavior, they seem to be content. Also, we got a new family member, another precious dog several years ago. 
and oh, how I love him, and he loves me unconditionally. Um, some of you may remember that I already had one dog, and my dogs are my bright, shiny lights in my life. I'm not even worthy of them. They love me so much. They are so dear to me. Um, another thing about my life right now, let's see, oh, in case my accent doesn't make it obvious, haha, I do live in the South, and I have lived in the South all of my life. As a woman living in the South, I feel like I have to put on my armor every day before I leave my home. The political environment down here is appalling, and I sometimes fantasize about leaving here and going somewhere where racism and sexism and homophobia aren't shoved in my face every day when I read the news. I dream of being surrounded by more people who share my same forward-thinking progressive viewpoints. But the reality is I'm not leaving anytime soon, if ever. And through recovery, I've learned that even in the South, there are a lot of really good people who are not ignorant, racist bigots and who want to make a positive difference down here. As angry and outraged as I've been by the never-ending stream of unfortunate events and political decisions occurring in my state, I have not even considered drinking over any of it, not even once. Instead, I've learned to keep my eyes on my own paper. I go to work. And I create, and I'm proud of what I create, and I show up when I say I will, and I do what needs to be done. And I've learned the hard way that I don't have to attend every argument that I'm invited to when it comes to politics or anything else. In fact, I've learned that for me, protecting my sobriety includes not trying to persuade others to join my side. I've also had to face some really hard situations um, with my aunt this past year, some early bubble hours listeners may remember that I talked about my aunt before. She has always been more like a mother than an aunt. She was always my close, closest friend and confidant. Uh, she was a huge support to me in early sobriety. And I had to make some really excruciating decisions regarding her medical care as her rapid onset dementia progressed at a speed I didn't know was possible. And I'm sharing this with you guys because this is about self-care and something I had to do to take care of myself. And I think it might be helpful to some of you out there because I know that I'm not the only one who's been in this situation with the loved one who is aging. And, and, and I was just completely at a loss, did not know who to turn to or what to do. But she was unable to be cared for at home and had to suddenly have 24-hour medical care. My heart felt broken for the months leading up to the realization that she needed everything that I could not physically or mentally provide. I was in a dark place during that time, but never once did it occur to me to drink over it. I was trying to parent, to work, and to take care of her. I was also mourning her while she was still alive, which, by the way, is its own horrible kind of hell. While I was making decisions about her care, I was trying to do so much. Now I'm in a better place with that decision because I know that I made the right decision. This is an example of how I had to practice self-care this year. I had to separate facts from feelings. My feelings told me that I owed it to her to take care of her health and her mental care. My feelings told me I would miss her too much if I put her into a, a skilled nursing facility. But 
Pax told me that I can no longer physically physically care for her because I did not have the tools or the ability or the strength to keep going down that path. Pax also told me that I had already been missing her for months as she slipped farther away from me into dementia. I see her regularly, and although she does not know me anymore, I take comfort in being there for her and loving her for her in a way that is healthy for both of us and for my family. Facts and feelings remind me that I'm doing what I know she would have wanted me to do. So there's my update. That's pretty much what's happened this past year in a nutshell. Are you guys still awake? Um, I'm sure that was probably too much information. Um, I'd also just like to say if you are listening to this podcast because you're worried that you have a problem with alcohol, chances are good that you do have a problem with alcohol. That's why you found this podcast. I know that's hard to hear, right? Um, it's hard to accept, too. My only advice, really, is to listen to that tiny voice telling you what you already know. Also, sobriety is hard at first, but it gets easier and it gets better. Take it bit by bit, day by day. Take each day as it comes. Face today, today. Tomorrow will come and you can face tomorrow then. Thank you all for listening. I just really am so honored that Jean asked me to come and do this little quick catch up uh, recording for you guys. Um, please remember that there's hope. And if if I can do it, you can do it. You're never alone. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, I'd love to hear from you. Please ask Jean for my email address. I'm happy to listen. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Please don't be afraid to reach out to me. I welcome it. It helps me when I help be, when I help you. Um, and finally, I'm going to share something with Jean. I'm going to email her something that I wrote called The Tiny Voice. Um, I wrote it about coming to terms with my own problem with alcohol. So maybe she will share it on the blog or or somewhere and it might help someone. Um, that's really all I really want to do. Um, there's so much value from that and there's so much, um, joy in life now that I'm sober and I really love you guys and I'm, I'm on your side and please remember you're never alone. Thanks so much for listening and Jean, thank you so much for having me and, um, I hope we get to catch up in person and chat in person soon. Thank you guys. Bye-bye. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can't
I'm proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to confession in ears. The person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror. And the one who matters most can always hear. When you say an old, different, not proud, but that was me and when I face it. Take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you said I'm free When you said I'm different Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Oh, yes, head on Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.